I'm continuing this morning in my series in Jude. In fact, next time will be the last message in this series, almost at the very end. But don't tune out because some of the best stuff comes in these final few verses. I want us to read together Jude verses 22 and 23. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Two verses, very powerful. In context, Jude is helping us help those who are struggling. Now, I don't know if you're struggling today spiritually. All of us struggle at one time or another. Sometimes we go through intense periods of struggling. Sometimes it's more episodic. Other times we kind of feel a bit free from going to any particular struggle. We find life flowing and the Holy Spirit just seems to be there and everything is going good. But there are times when it's not like that. I ask you today, what do you do? What do you do when you see someone struggling spiritually? Maybe it is obvious that they're struggling. Maybe it's not obvious. Maybe they have to let you know. And some of the most important words you can ever say in Christian fellowship to your brothers and sisters, to the Lord, is, help me, I'm struggling. But when somebody indicates that they're struggling, what do you do? Do you get on your high horse and start to judge them, criticize them, prematurely advise them, tell them what to do? Do you attack them, blame them? Well, that's another fine situation you've got yourself into. Or do you quickly find a couple of glib scriptures? Well, no scripture is glib, but the way we quote them and pass them on can be glib. Find a couple of scriptures in which you can give some glib, superficial advice like, oh, well, trust God more. Or don't worry, all things work together for good. Or how about cheer up, things aren't that bad. Or do you just back off? Do you avoid people because you don't know what to do or you just don't want to get involved? One thing I've discovered, and I'm sure you will agree, is that if you've ever been struggling and you risk opening up to somebody and you get a negative response, it doesn't help you. In fact, sometimes the negative, self-righteous, superior responses you get, the super spiritual responses, are nothing more than fodder for the person giving them to feel good about themselves. And they're not worried about how you feel. I'm also sure you will agree that getting to understand 
what people are going through, empathic understanding of the pressures that a people are under as you step into their moccasins and walk a little while in their shoes, to kind of empathically enter into their experience, to begin to identify with what, what they're feeling, Understanding the pressures that people are under and empathizing is a necessary and great first step. But true empathy, true understanding leads on to something also very practical. So say, for example, you're driving in your car, it's a rainy day, and wipers are going like this, and you hear a bump, and you stop the car, and you find that you've got a flat tire, and it's quite, it's quite serious. So you get in a bit of a fluster. You, you get out of the car. It's pouring with rain. You're soaking wet in seconds. You try and go to find out what you're supposed to do, the car manual, what you're supposed to do. In the old days, you change your tire. Now it's something very different, so please don't ask me. I'll need your empathic involvement if that happened to me. But along comes par hasard, as it were, a member of Kensington Temple. And this member of Kensington Temple is a particularly spiritual member of Kensington Temple. And so they stand watching you, struggling, not knowing what to do, soaking wet. Hi. How are you? Oh, you look as you've got a big problem there. Oh, oh, I feel for you in your problem. I want to let you know that I am feeling with you. I'm going through the agony that you're going through. And you look up and say, well, can't you help me? Oh, no, I, I'm here to empathize. Uh, and there they are, standing under the security of their own umbrella. They don't even stretch out a hand and risk getting wet themselves in order to help you. So you see, empathy alone is not enough. I've had people say, oh, if you get cut, I bleed. No, if I get cut, I bleed. But I want you to do something about it. Get me a bandage, please. So it doesn't end with understanding, it begins with understanding, but it should move on to practical help, which I think a best word for it is restoration. For those who have moved away from God, show them mercy and compassion, show them empathy and understanding, but help them out of it. Now, back in Jude's day, there were a number of casualties, people who in the different Christian communities were affected by the false teachers that infiltrated the church. And some of them were struggling in their faith in different degrees. Some had just fallen right over, tripped right over the stumbling block of that teaching and got themselves up to their neck in sinful behavior, confusion, trapped, and so Jude says, I'm going to show you how to help these very people who are struggling. Now today, maybe you can't identify any struggles in your life that are the direct result of false teachers who have deceived you. 
But there's enough happening in our world today and in our general experience day by day that gives us the potential to be under a lot of pressure. And sometimes under pressure, we struggle. The pressures of living through a pandemic, the exhaustion, the frustration, the anxiety, all these things take their toll. But then almost every moment, there are negative influences that are all around us that give us the added pressure coming from, I would say, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle, the pull of worldly opinion that puts a question mark over your spiritual life and your Christian conviction. Suggesting that you're on the wrong road. Don't get too carried away with all this Christian business. And you know, the pastor is talking about sin, but you know, it's not really sin. It's okay. It's just your humanity. I don't struggle with all this stuff about trying to do the right thing, trying to live in a way that is holy and pure. Just be yourself. If you want to do it, do it. And actually, let me give you some advice. If it feels good, it is good. Now, that is not my advice today. That is often coming across as directly as that and sometimes in more indirect ways. And it can have an effect on us. And we can start to get a bit confused and less confident about who we are in Christ. Another great source of struggle is the result of discouragement. Many people are discouraged. Not necessarily pointing the finger at others, but as they look inward, they think, you know, I've been a Christian all this time, but I'm still struggling. The same old, same old stuff keeps happening. I seem to keep falling into the same habitual practices, and I know God doesn't want me to live like this, but, you know, you end up, God forgive me, I've done it again. God forgive me again, I've done it again, again. And this kind of cycle goes on. It might be a problem with sin. It might be an emotional problem. It might be a mental health issue that's causing you to be discouraged. Will it ever be any different? And so the struggle is intensified when you begin to find in you feelings building up of shame, unworthiness. Then there's the struggle that comes very often when you are hurt by harsh and unjustified criticism. This criticism, you take it to heart, you take it too seriously, but somehow you don't seem to have the mental capacity to say, that person who's criticizing me, they are wrong. They are just doing it to make themselves feel good, to feel morally and spiritually superior, this game that some Christians play. I'm more spiritual than you are. Are you? Well, bully for you. 
Then, of course, there's the struggle that comes with harboring offense. Offended people, have you noticed, if you're carrying any offense, you'll notice this tendency in yourself, but when you're trying to help others, very often the uh, people who've, who've been offended by that, I mean they've taken offense and hold on to that offense. The next thing that happens is they begin to withdraw. They begin to isolate themselves, separate from other believers. And in doing this, they make themselves all the more vulnerable to the hunters out there. And the enemy has a lot of them. How about the leopard? Nothing against leopards. I'm just talking about what happens out there in the wild. A leopard is creeping up on a herd of young antelope. What does the leopard do? The leopard intimidates, approaches from the sidelines, manages to isolate, to separate one antelope from the herd. And when that isolation happens, the leopard leaps into action. Vulnerable, isolated, easy prey. However, we should never underestimate the power, the negative power of false teaching. And so my first advice for all of us is never consider yourself immune from error or immune from deception. That's why we must constantly check in with the Word of God and constantly be reviewing what we're hearing, what we're thinking, with what God's Word actually says. Derek Prince, who is with the Lord now, great Bible teacher, speaking on deception, would always say, if you think you can't be deceived, you are deceived already. So we guard against deception, but also there is so often with false teaching an attractive deadliness about it. So much false teaching is designed to appeal to the flesh, to help us find ways of justifying a sinful course of action, rationalizing our behavior. And often the tantalizing teaching comes along this line, just follow my advice and you will have instant access to wealth, health, success, happiness without a daily struggle and don't worry about it. You can find satisfaction, happiness. You can have the good life. You can have the easier life without repentance and without pain. Now, all the good things that we pursue, we know they are in Christ, but we also know that the way of Christ, not only does it involve repentance, 
constant walking in repentance. Sometimes, I feel like saying often, you tell me which is the best word, sometimes or often, but I know, sometimes at least, making the right choices and going the way of Jesus is painful, is painful. At the center of our faith is the cross, Christ's cross, where he died and suffered and excruciating, the word excruciating comes from the same word as the cross, excruciating, cruciating. It comes from the same word as the cross, the most excruciating death, our life comes out of his death. Our joy came out of the suffering that he did for us and on our behalf. And nobody needs to go there again. Christ has paid the price and we are free. However, when we follow him, we also have a cross. Uh, Nothing by comparison to his. The cross that he bore was the death coming to us as a result of our sin. But the cross that we bear is the way that we crucify the old self that we might rise and live a new fruitful self. And this is why our enemy throws so much propaganda our way to draw us away from fruitfulness in Christ. So here we have Jude's instructions to the people of his day. Very specific context. There was false teaching, which was promising people the easy life, the good life, and certainly not a life of battling against sin. Just give in to it. You don't have to obey those rules and regulations. They had twisted the grace of God into license. God's grace that covers your sin is not a cover-up for your sin. In other words, you can't quote the grace of God and do as you like. The grace of God will teach you and instruct you and shape you and form you in a way that honors Him. So the idea that because you're saved or because you're secure in Christ, or because the grace of God is upon your life, it doesn't matter what you do, you can live as you want. In fact, that kind of attitude is a travesty of what grace is all about. Now, these false teachers were teaching a kind of license to sin. And that kind of teaching had begun to influence people. And we see Jude point to three categories of people who are struggling. Now, this doesn't just apply to the struggle relating to the particular false teaching that was around in Jude's day. It actually is quite an eye-opener to how our struggles can descend into fruitlessness if we're not careful. And so if you categorize yourself in any of these categories, go for help because you can escape this downward spiral of devastation and ruin of your own spiritual life. Well, the three categories are, he begins with those who are doubting, 
Then he talks about those who are compromising. And then finally talks about those who were giving in to sin. Those who were doubting. So he says, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. Why were they doubting? What were they doubting? Well, I can tell you why they were doubting. Because they were beginning to listen to enemy propaganda. The plausible, enticing arguments, all glossed over, looking so attractive. This is the way to have a relaxed, joyful, fulfilled Christian life. Don't struggle. Don't bother about sin. Just go with the flow, bro. Meaning, allow your human nature, your human desires, just satisfy them. Have mercy on those who doubt. Now, the doubting that is talked about here is, is not the positive questioning. Don't mistake positive questions for doubt. I think it's very important to keep asking questions. And by asking questions, you might get answers which might explain things, tie up some loose threads in your thinking, and your understanding. But the kind of doubt that is being talked of here is the doubt that the enemy sowed in the, into the mind of Eve when he said, has God said, is this really the case? Getting Eve to begin to doubt God's word and then be deceived and ultimately deny God's word. So there is a way in which it's healthy to ask questions. And I would encourage you to do that when you're talking to people who don't know that much about the gospel. Always ask their question, answer their questions. Find out what they're thinking because maybe you can help them. Maybe you've thought through this or maybe they will raise something that you haven't thought through. And you don't say, well, I'm a believer. I don't need to consider that. No, go back, check it out. Because when you have questions and the questions are answered, your faith grows deeper. Have mercy on those who doubt. Mercy is the key phrase here. Be merciful with those who are struggling. That's what Jude is saying. And... Um, this is, there's, there's a good promise attached to this. We all need mercy. Mercy, it means we don't get what we really do deserve. In other words, Jesus steps in and is merciful. We all need mercy. And Jesus tells us how to find it. He says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. So we walk in mercy. If you need mercy, show it. Be merciful to others. Don't be harsh. The measure you use in harsh, judgmental, judgmental, unmerciful language and behavior to others will be used back on you. But if you sow seeds of mercy and grace, you will reap them and you're going to need them as I'm going to need them. So the first step in mercy is beginning to understand. Beginning to listen to people, to understand where they're coming from. What's troubling them? Don't compare them. 
with others. Don't judge them. Listen to them. Find out what they're struggling with. Understand. Because if you understand what somebody is really going through, you are in a better place to help them through it. And in understanding them, be ready to encourage them. You know, when you're discouraged, it's very easy to begin to listen to the wrong people. When you're discouraged, it's very easy to listen to the wrong voice and to start focusing on the wrong things, the kind of things that will lead you away from God, not towards him. And in this first stage of doubt, if people are doubting, not only try to understand them, listen to them, encourage them, spend time with them, but also use gentle persuasion, gentle warnings, reminders of the truth, gentle pointers to direct their gaze back upon the Lord, gentle reminders to, for them to re-engage with the reality of their faith. Then he goes on to talk about those who were compromising. This is not just people who are struggling and doubting and have got some questions, but people who've begun to move away from God. They've begun to follow some of the negative teaching. They've begun to give in and they're very close to getting completely trapped once again in sin. And Jude uses his example in saying that they've come so close to the fire. They've got so close to the fire, they're in danger of being burned. This isn't talking about eternal hell. This is talking about the consequences of a life where you are playing fast and loose, playing with fire. And when people are playing with fire, you know, you've you got to be a little stronger in the way you intervene. There's something more urgent about it, perhaps a slightly more forceful form of intervention. So you see a child playing very close to the fire, trying to duck in and out and reach out. And, and, and you don't just say, well, I'll just stand by, wait for that child to get third degree burns and then they will learn. No, you step in right away. You say, stay away from the fire, that, that's hot. Don't, don't go there, don't go there. You're gonna be burned. And, and if necessary, snatch them. Snatch them from the fire. Strong intervention. Now, if we were able to turn this into some kind of counseling seminar and how to handle problems like this, we would set out a number of points and deal with them in full. One of them is the need for spiritual discipline. Helping people set boundaries, giving them a support structure. It's not just about telling them what to do, it is helping them through it. Helping them reconnect with good people, good, strong, helpful, loving people who will speak the truth in love, who will help them, who will guide them. This is, this is what we have in our cell structure in the church, our cell group structure. A large percentage of the church, the vast majority of people who are linked with KTLCC ministry are also linked to the cell ministry, where there are small groups of people who are able to stand with each other, to to be with each other, to encourage one another, and to help one another. Get good people around you and get good people around them. And it might be 
you know, some slightly stronger intervention by saying, well, you know, if you want not to go down this route again, then you have to stay well away from these people. Stay well away from these places, from these channels. You need to get something on your internet that makes sure that you're accountable for what you're watching. All these kind of loving, practical things, which are a little more interventionist, little stronger than just dealing tenderly with people who doubt. You're not actually having to snatch them away from what is damaging them. But don't just snatch them away, hold on to them. Have, have you noticed that people who are in this situation, that, that they're the people who are the least available? You know what I mean? They've distanced themselves. They're the hardest to reach. They never respond to your emails. They never answer the phone. The texts remain unanswered. They, they cut themselves off. They no longer show regularly in the cell meeting or the Sunday services. They begin to cut themselves off. And, and sometimes the people who need you the most, they are the hardest to reach. So what we do is we don't give up. Understand, be compassionate, be merciful, but don't give up on them. And there are story, uh, stories after stories where people have come in with strong intervention and have really helped people. Way back when we were establishing the cell vision in the church, Larry Stockstill of the United States of America told a story, that true story that happened within his primary 12. In other words, the leaders of the cell leaders are in the primary 12. And uh, there was one primary male member who they noticed seemed to be behaving a bit oddly and didn't show up at the meeting. So instead of just saying, oh, well, we understand you're living under it with a busy life and you don't have to be at every meeting, they went round to his home. And there was his wife in tears. And they said, let's call him George. They said, where's George? He's gone. Where's he gone? I don't know. Why do you know he's gone? she found a message that he'd been having a chat, a conversation on the internet with a woman, a strange woman. And there was indication that he'd gone off to be with this woman. And so after a little bit of questioning and guesswork, they thought they knew where they might found, find him. So they headed out to that destination and sure enough, in a local cafe, there was this brother, George, along with this lady, and she was no sister, let me tell you that. And they came into the restaurant, came into the cafe, and sat down, spoke to him. They didn't attack him, accuse him, reprimand him. They just said, tell us what's going on here. And finally, George broke down. He said, I've been so foolish. Those wise men counseled George. They didn't cancel him, they counseled him. Spoke to the woman and took him home, safely delivered back to his wife. That's how you help people who are struggling. Then there are those who have already given in to sin. They've decided already to follow their own fleshly desires. Maybe the new teaching or some idea in their heads 
has enabled them to rationalize their behavior, make all kinds of excuses. Well, God understands. It's all too much for me. If you had the background that I had, if you knew what I've been struggling with, if you knew the pressures at work, if you knew my wife, if you knew my mother-in-law, you would know why I'm behaving like this. And so it's okay. God understands legitimizing a line of action, course of action. Of course, it doesn't always happen that way. Some people get trapped in sin for all kinds of reasons. And Jude speaks to us to help people who've gone that far by telling us to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Help those who are trapped in sin. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6 Verses 1 and 2 gives us pristine advice. I really wish all of us as believers, leaders, fellow believers, we would get a hold of this passage and live it and practice it and work so we become experts at doing what is instructed here. Let me read it to you. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you see a brother, you see a sister is trapped in sin. Goes on to say, you who are spiritual should restore him. You who are spiritual, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that there are certain categories amongst Christians. Here are the not so spiritual ones. Here are the more spiritual ones. And here are the really spiritual ones. When Paul says, you who are spiritual, he's reminding us that we have the Holy Spirit. All of us have the Holy Spirit, and because we have the Holy Spirit, we can be used by the Holy Spirit to bring somebody who's struggling back to a place of restoration, a place of fruitfulness, a place of victory. And we know it's the Holy Spirit at work because he says, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's another way of saying be merciful. Then he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's the law of love that restores people. Love does not minimize wrong. Love does not minimize sin. Love does not condone sin. Love rescues people. Love gives them a helping hand and carry them if necessary. What do we do? We're soldiers on the battlefield. Enemy fire all around, fallen soldiers left and right and center. What do we do? Say, oh, you're a silly man catching a bullet. Here's another one, bang. You don't shoot the wounded. You pick them up. You carry them to a place of safety. You nurture them. You nurse them. You make sure that they recover. You stay with them. You carry them if necessary till finally they can stand on their own two feet and, and, and be aware You've carried them today. Maybe they will need to carry you tomorrow. Help them. Restore them. Help them return to the Lord. Help them with the, the real meaning of repentance. Repentance isn't just about telling people that they've done wrong, making them feel miserable, making them feel ashamed, telling them off. Repentance is drawing them back to the arms of Jesus. The prodigal son did not find repentance in the, in the foreign land when he was far away from home. 
The prodigal son, when he returned, he found repentance and the loving, accepting arms of his father, just in the same way that we should embrace those who have sinned, who've fallen away, who are struggling. Embrace them with the arms of the Father's love. And in the presence of the Father's love, they will have a heart change, a spiritual transformation. Of course, you don't avoid sin. That's what it's all about. Anyone caught in sin, being caught in sin is painful. And this is the heart of the problem. As we know, sin is so often at the very middle of our struggles. And we continue to care for them and help them. Another war analogy. So there are soldiers fighting in the trenches and somebody's got wounded and the enemy is approaching. What do you do? Say, you silly man, you've got shot. That's stupid How could you do such a thing? What do you do? You jump in to the trench. You stand shoulder to shoulder and you help them fight the battle. We don't need judges. We don't need critics. We don't need moralizers. We need fellow soldiers who will enter our world of struggle and fight alongside us till the point of victory. And then, of course, watch yourself. Watch yourself. So he says, in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of humility, watch yourself. And Jude's way of putting this is hating even the garment stained by the flesh. That's a word for the helper. It's not bringing the people to the point where they hate what they've done. That may be necessary. But you hate what sin does. That's what we have to hate. Love the sinner, but hate what sin does. It's said of the Lord Jesus Christ prophetically in the book of Hebrews. He loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God has anointed him with the oil of gladness. And during all of this, you cover them with prayer, 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 more prayer, until finally there comes a point in the words of Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, a very well-known psalm, where it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When that person is back to that place where they can look to the Lord to be their rescuer, their healer, their savior, their deliverer, their sanctifier, their helper, when they know that and they know who he is, the God who made the heaven and the earth, there is nothing that you go through that God cannot help you come out of with his power. So merciful, be merciful. Help those who are struggling. Even if you are right to think it was their own stupid fault. How many stupid things have you done 
How many stupid things have I done? Yeah, sometimes it's just plain stupid. But nevertheless, it's real. And we are family. We are community. We are one body. If somebody is suffering, we suffer. If somebody is affected, we're affected. I don't know when the last time you stubbed your toe, but you will remember it because it's so painful. You get up in the night, you stub your little toe on the corner of the leg of the bed and it, the pain shoots through you. It penetrates your brain and your sanctification is tested by the next words that may come out of your mouth. But what do you do? Do you sit down, put your foot up and start telling it off? You stupid foot, you stupid toe. How dare you do this to me? You go, ow! You hold it. You want to heal it. Because a little member of your body is suffering, you're suffering. You are your brother's keeper. We don't shoot the wounded, that's like shooting yourself. You go, you restore, you embrace, do it gently, in humility. You don't name, blame or shame. You don't judge or condemn, you show mercy. And mercy here is not ignoring sin because if you accept that you need mercy, it's because you've accepted that you've gone wrong. You've done something wrong and you need forgiveness. You need mercy. But in the spirit of mercy, you help them overcome their sin. And in doing this, do you know what happens? When we behave like this, you know what happens? We make room for the Holy Spirit to work so that people can come into an experience of genuine, deep Holy Spirit repentance. The work of the Holy Spirit in the heart. We can't do that. We can pray. Only God can do that. But if we set up the conditions for God to work, He will work. And even if people are resistant to begin with, we go deeper. We find out what is the hurt behind the hate. We find out what is the problem that is manifesting in a certain way with understanding, with compassion, with empathy, but also with practical help. And after all, we all need mercy and we get it for ourselves when we show it to others. Thank you.